Amen. It'd be good to add our victory song to his victory song. Good morning, everybody. We're in our second week of our fall series, Encountering God in the Psalms, from Lament to Praise. And I love myself reading the Psalms and meditating on them, memorizing them, savoring them, lingering over them, and just listening to what God has to say to us through the Psalms. And I really encourage you as a person to be, and families, be reading through the Psalms. And my first task in these next few weeks is to acquaint you with some of the attributes of God. Last week we looked at the sovereignty of God. And the core concept behind the sovereignty of God is that God is in control. And because God is in control, I can rest in his sovereignty. My God is always working behind the scenes, orchestrating events, arranging things to our favor. God is sovereign. Sovereignty teaches us that everything that happens happens either because God directly causes it or allows it to happen. God does not simply wind up the universe and let it on its own. The hurricane was under the sovereign control of a sovereign God. God is sovereignly in control of our nation. God is sovereignly in control of our economy. God is sovereignly in control of the upcoming elections. God is sovereign over our church. God is sovereign over our community. God is sovereign in your family's life, your personal life. Sovereignty teaches us that we don't have to worry about the future. We don't have to worry about our present situation. And for us who like to be in control, it teaches us to renounce control to him who is in control. He is the sovereign God. He is sovereign. Now this morning, under God's sovereignty... I want to teach you two attributes about the nature of God from Psalm 139. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 139. But let's begin with a definition to help us understand the first of these attributes, namely omniscience. To say that God is omniscient is to say that God is all-knowing. God's omniscience refers to his perfect knowledge of all things, whether they be actual or potential. For God knows everything. The psalmist begins this psalm by saying, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. God knows everything. God knows everything possible, everything potential, and everything actual. There was a time in Abraham's life when he was at his tent and three visitors arrived. The Lord came to visit Abraham and said to him, by this time next year, we will return, and your wife Sarah will have a son. God saw what was going to happen in the life of Abraham and Sarah. He was 99 years old, and she was 89. And by the next year, they would have a son. I thought about this, of coming to FMH and uh, reporting there, you know, to have a baby. And the nurse asking, you know, um, how old are you? him saying, I'm 100 years old and my wife is 90. At a very time when you think of them being in geriatrics, <laughs> they're in the labor and delivery room. God knew, therefore promised Abraham that Sarah would have a son. And Sarah laughed, right? This is a funny joke. I'm going to have a son, right? Past childbearing years. The thought of Sarah getting pregnant at her age seemed impossible. Yet God had made the promise, and God is omniscient. 
Therefore, the promise was kept. And by that time next year, they had a son and they named him Isaac, meaning laughter. (laughs) And it was pretty funny. The point is that God knows everything that's actual and potential. God is perfectly acquainted with every detail of your life. He knows your past, he knows your present, and God knows your future. The omniscience of God means that there is absolutely nothing that God does not know. He depends on no one outside of himself for knowledge about anything. God never says, I didn't know that. God never says, oh, really? God never says, tell me more about that. I didn't know. We are not all-knowing, even though you had, perhaps, in fifth grade, Mr. Know-it-all, who thought he knew everything. We're always relying upon somebody else for our knowing. Every time I go to the pharmacy, I rely on the person behind the counter to know something about medicines, right? The doctor writes the prescription. The pharmacist fills the prescription, and I consume the prescription. Every time I go on an airplane, I assume the pilot knows something about flying this airplane. He knows something about these switches, right? These switches, this is not the first time he's ever flown an airplane. So he has a knowledge I do not know. Every time I turn on the weather channel, I see the the latest Doppler radar or the uh, satellite image. I don't intuitively know what's going to happen with the weather, though sometimes my body is speaking to me. They have information I don't have, and I begin to rely upon that information. People ask me, what did you learn, Pastor R, in your study break? And what I learned was most of what I didn't know. In fact, the more I know about something, the more I realize I don't know about that. (laughs) The Bible says that God knows the number of hairs on your head. And for some of you, that's decreasing. Now, how does God God know the number of hairs on your head? Does God count them one by one? Well, God intuitively or innately knows because God is God. The closest thing on earth I know to this intuitive, innate knowledge is my wife, Debbie. (laughs) Sometimes she will say something very profound to me that I didn't know. And I'll say, how did you know that? And she will say, I just know. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me. You have examined my heart, and you know me. I think what God has me on is this journey toward intimacy. And God wants you to be intimate with him as well. O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know me. The word search literally means to pierce through. We say of somebody that they can look right through you. Oh, Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. This is much more thorough than a physical examination by a physician because God sees at the level of your heart. God knows whether you have a brave heart and you're courageously engaging in the battle or God knows whether you have a fearful heart and you're withdrawing, disengaging. God knows whether you have a happy heart, rejoicing in the goodness of God, or God knows whether you have a sad heart, lamenting the news you just heard. God knows whether you have a trusting heart, a resting heart, 
believing God is bigger than any situation you face, or whether you have a vexed heart, a worried heart, a troubled heart, worrying about what might happen. God knows the condition of your heart. Nothing is hidden from God. God knows everything comprehensively. He knows the true condition of your heart and of your soul. It says, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. O Lord, you know my every movement. You know my down-sitting and my uprising. God's knowledge of us, then, is comprehensive. In John chapter 1, Jesus saw a man whose name was Nathanael approaching him. And he said, here is a true Israelite. <laughs> so first of all, Nathanael had heard from Philip about Jesus. Hey, come see the man that was written about in the law, the prophet spoke of. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, the, the, you know, son of Joseph. And so when he was approaching Jesus, he said, here is a man in whom there is no, no guile, and there is no hypocrisy, in whom there is no pretense, in whom there is integrity. And Nathaniel asked the question, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. You see, it's an obvious contrast between Nathaniel, in whom there is no guile, with Jacob, in whom, the, in whom there was guile. You see, Jacob was a man full of guile or falsehood or pretense. And he, God knew he had to be broken. And so he wrestled with Jacob. And he asked Jacob, what is your name? And when Jacob gave his true name, I am Jacob, because he had lied about his name before, God renamed him Israel, which means one who struggles with God and overcomes. But now here came a man whose name was Nathaniel a man in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael asked, how do you know me? And Jesus said, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now many have wondered what this means, this fig tree. It's kind of a cryptic statement. And for centuries, scholars have wondered, what does it mean when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree? Some would say it's a symbol of peace or a symbol of home. But I tend to be a simple guy, and I think what Jesus saw was Nathaniel under a fig tree. <laughs> and I think what Nathaniel was wondering was, will you reveal yourself to me, God? Maybe he was wondering about Jacob's ladder and the ascending and descending angels. And what Nathaniel had had was an encounter with the living God. And the only person who knew about that encounter was Nathaniel. So when Nathanael was, he said, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. He knew of a moment when God revealed himself to him. And now Jesus was revealing himself to him. And that's why Nathanael knew that God was omniscient, knowing all things. And Nathanael said, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You see, God himself knows everything about you. O oh Lord, you perceive my thoughts from afar. O oh Lord, you can read my mind. The Lord knows what you're thinking about. The Lord knows what you were thinking about this morning. The Lord knows what you're thinking about this very moment. <laughs> you see, some people can listen to a sermon and be thinking about something else. 
So what is on your mind this morning? What are you thinking about? You thinking about something from your past? Or a pressurized situation you're in right now? A problem you can't solve? Something about your future? What is your mind dwelling upon? The battleground is always the mind. Where the enemy sows his seeds is at the mind. That's why we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's why we're told, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we're to take captive every thought into obedience to Christ. He knows our every thought. He perceives our thoughts from afar. And you discern my going out and my lying down. O Lord, you're familiar with all my ways. (laughs) Yesterday, uh, one one of my ways is I typically do not chop up firewood. But my son Josh, I was trying to teach him the manly art of wood chopping. So the first few um, logs went pretty well until I connected with a log, and then I connected with my foot. So today as I walk, there's some pain in my foot. I thought the path of Jesus was a painful path, and so my path today is also painful. Note to self, move your feet out of the way. O Lord, you know my every movement. You search my every moment. You know my walk. You know my path. You know my ways. You know when I get up in the morning. God knows when in the morning you wake up. God knows also when you retire. You know, when Peter was talking to Jesus, he said, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, the context for that was Peter knew that Jesus was going to the cross. And he said, if all the others fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus, being omniscient, knew that before the cock crowed three times, Peter would have denied him. So he was warming his hands beside the fire. And one of the servants said, Peter, you're one of his disciples. And he said, I don't even know the man. He denied him three times. And then when he was arrested, Peter ran for the hills. But after the resurrection, Jesus arranged to meet with Peter. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the third time Jesus asked, he said, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me more than anything else? And he said, you know all things. You know that I love you. God himself knows all things about us. God knew that Peter would fail. He said, Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. And when you are restored, go and strengthen your brothers. God knew that Peter would fail, but also Peter would rise. And Peter would become the leader of the church. And Peter would preach at Pentecost. And he would strengthen his brothers, being a leader of the church. God himself is omniscient. He knows all things. O Lord, you search my every movement. Lord, you search my every motive. You hem me in behind and before. God, you have gone before me, and you will follow after me. You hem me in behind and before. Our team that has gone off to South Africa, I believe in my spirit that God has gone before them. They will step into God appointments that God has arranged for them. There will be them that are crying out to find God, and they will testify to their relationship with God of how to have a relationship to God. And then those 
Seeds that are laid, someone will follow up upon those seeds. You see, God goes before us, and God goes after us. He hems us in behind and before. And God, you have laid your hand upon me. How personal and intimate can this be, that God himself lays his hand upon us. There's times when God lays his hand upon our shoulder. There's times when we're weak, when God steadies us with his right hand. Oh Lord, you have laid your hand upon me. David does not try to run from the Lord, from the truth about God. He revels in it. He delights in it. He worships the Lord. God, you are far too wonderful for me. God, I am filled with wonder and awe. God, how you completely know me. The doctrine of omniscience is to say that God is all-knowing. Now, normally we don't let people know us We keep our cards close to the vest because if people knew the truth about us, they may not like us. They may judge us. So what we tend to do is we build up walls around ourselves and we don't let our true self be known. We put up a false self, a false identity. We put up a wall around ourselves to protect ourselves from people because if they knew the truth about us, they surely wouldn't love us. I hope you can receive this. God knows the truth, the absolute truth about you. He knows everything about your past, all the secrets, all the things you keep hidden. God knows everything about your past, and God knows everything about you, and God loves you. God has affection for you. God is tender towards you. God likes you. God rejoices over you. God delights in you. God really loves you. God knows everything there is to know about you. He knows your complete history, and God loves you. That makes him God. God is sovereign, and God is omniscient, and God loves you thoroughly, completely. God, you are far too wonderful for me, he's saying. God, you know everything about me, but you don't use that information against me. You love me without conditions. Now, many people try, because of this doctrine of omniscience, to try hard not to think about God. I want to keep my distance from God who knows all about me. But what God is saying is, I want you to be intimate with me. I want you to know that I love you and I know everything about you. It doesn't make me run from you. It makes me run to you, God. The doctrine of omniscience that God knows everything, is a powerful doctrine to take hold of. But there's a second one, the doctrine of omnipotence, that God is all-powerful. God himself can do anything. What can God do? Anything. God is all-powerful. It involves more than raw power. It's the exercise of his choice to use his unlimited power to reflect his divine glory and accomplish his sovereign will. Psalm 139, verse 13, God's omnipotence. For you created my inmost being, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. David knew nothing about the modern science of embryology. He knew nothing about the process by which a baby grows in the womb. David had never seen a sonogram, but David was in awe of God. David knew that God was his creator. Oh God, 
You are my creator, and you are awesome because you made my inmost being. David was a person, and he knew that God was a person. God has creativity, and God has given to you this creativity. God has imagination, and God gives to you imagination. God has a mind, and he's given to you a mind. God has a will, and he gives you choices to make. God has feelings, and he allows you to have feelings, that you might have a relationship with this living God and realize that he is your creator. You are not the end product of a process of evolution. You are made by the living God. Oh God, you created me. You are omnipotent and you're omniscient. There's been much debate about the right of a woman to have an abortion. People who argue for the right of a woman to have an abortion say, it's my body. I can do with it what I, what I please. They usually argue that it's a, fe a fetus and not a person. It's only part of a woman's body, like a gallbladder or like an appendix. And she can elect to remove. Forty years ago, we said, <laughs> showing my age now, Forty years ago, we said, when a woman was expecting, she's carrying a baby. People now talk about it as if it were tissue or embryo or a fetus. It's easy to get rid of tissue, much harder to get rid of a child. But you have to understand, you mothers and all of you, that when a woman is pregnant, at about five weeks, the heart begins to beat and circulate blood to that unborn child's body. And all through those 280 days, those 40 weeks, God is at work shaping and forming a life. And that life is alive. And God is at work in that person's life, shaping their personality, their temperament, their structure, everything about them. God is at work in your life. God created you. God created your inmost being. God formed you inside your mother's womb. That substance he was making inside of her was you. God made you. <laughs> and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are amazing because you're made by an amazing God. Now I could speak to the circulatory system or to the respiratory system or to the digestive system, but I want to talk to you about your amazing immune system, okay? Now, my medical school son helped me with this, so if I mess up, Jeff, or any of you all, just bring correction, okay? Alec, help me out here, okay? One of the components of God's design of you is your immunity. Your body has many defenses against things that would make you sick. We live in a world that would kill us if we didn't have defenses. And most people don't think about it, but the first defense of your body is your skin. About 99% of the things that we get inside of you are stopped by the skin. Well, from the moment we are born, we are surrounded by all kinds of foes. Fungi, bacteria, viruses, parasites. But there's something that stays on guard against this foe. It is your immune system. Let's suppose your friend, your so-called friend, sneezes in your face. Now, this flu virus penetrates beyond the skin, down your nose or your mouth, right? And what happens is the flu virus opens up a cell membrane inside of you and deposits the genetic code of that virus in that very cell. 
And then that cell, that viral cell, begins to multiply and replicate itself over and over again. Now there's millions of these flu virus cells inside of you. But dun 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 dun, now your body goes on the defense. The macrophages, they roam around picking up these particles in your body like virus, viruses, chew them up, and present them. What happens next? Next page. The helper T cells see the virus presented by the microphage, and they go tell the B and T cells. The B and T cells are the fighting cells inside the body. They tell them what to look for. So the T helper cell tells the B cell the exact specification of what those antibodies look like so they can target that specific cell, that virus inside of you, and arise the helper T cells telling the cytotoxic T cells to go to your viral cells that are filled with the virus to destroy those viral cells. Yay, God. Because you are amazing, and you are enough wonderfully, and yes, to God. To God be the glory that he has given you an immune system. You're wonderfully and fearfully made. So listen to this psalmist. He says, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. If God is the author of your life, then God knows the days of your life. God knew Joseph's life intimately well. So now I'd like to make three concluding comments about Joseph, which you heard about, and God's sovereignty, God's omnipotence, and God's omniscience in his life. First of all, God's omniscience was played out through the fulfillment of Joseph's dream. As you heard through Sharon, Joseph himself had a dream. The dream was that his brother's sheaves would bow down to him. And they said, will you rule over us? Will you be king over us? Joseph was the bottom of the pole, the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. He was the youngest of all his brothers. And his older brothers hated him. And they hated that robe. And they tried to kill him. And they sold him into slavery. And he went down to Egypt. He was sold to Potiphar. And his wife made a play upon him. And Joseph was put in prison. And from that very prison, he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And Joseph rose to number two in the country, number two in the nation. He was next to Pharaoh. And there came a day when his brothers were hungry. I love the line when Jacob says, you know, here we are starving to death. Go down there to Egypt and find some food. And the brothers came down to Egypt and they bowed before Joseph. God being omniscient, knowing everything, knew that the dream would be fulfilled. Pay attention to your dreams. Pay attention to the dreamers, to the visionaries, because God may well live out that dream, may fulfill that dream. Secondly, Joseph saw God's omnipotence manifested in his life by empowering him in tough situations. You know, when he went out of Potiphar's house, Genesis 39, he put him in charge of everything because the Lord was with him. And when he went into the prison, he was in charge of all the prisoners because the Lord was with him. And it was in that prison he interpreted that dream because the Lord was with him. And when his brothers came to beg him for forgiveness, God empowered Joseph to forgive his brothers. We see the omnipotence of Almighty God empowering him who has done wrong to forgive his brothers. And God can empower you also. You've got just enough strength to carry that grudge or God will give you the strength to let that grudge go. And lastly, we see God's sovereignty shown in all the pieces of Joseph's life coming together. Look at 
Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, he said to his brothers. You intended to betray me. You intended to hate me. But God intended to love me. You had plans for my demise. But God had plans for my good. You betrayed me. But God was faithful to me. You threw me into the pit. But God pulled me out of the pit. You sold me out. But God has redeemed my life. You see, the reason why Joseph was down there in Egypt was for the saving of many lives. The brothers' lives were saved by Joseph, as well as all the land of Egypt. So let me conclude by this. Psalm 139. It's called the prayer of examine. I'm glad to invite the praise team come on back up. O Lord, you have searched me, and O Lord, you know me. So, Lord, search me, O my God, and know my heart. There's only one person in this room who completely knows your heart, and it is the living God. He knows what you bring in your heart to this place, whether your heart is sad and troubled and anxious about something, whether your heart is happy and rejoicing and glad about something, whether your heart is vexed, and weighed down with pressure. The Lord knows your heart. And so we come into his presence. And in his presence, the Lord begins to search our heart and bring to the surface the things that have been recessed into our heart. You see, we can push down into our heart and repress and suppress. But the Lord brings to the surface that which is in our heart. That's when we pray. It's a prayer of examination. Lord, search me and know my heart and test me, and know my anxious thoughts. We're going to sing this last song. We invite this to be a time of reflection for you. But there's also a place of prayer, where you can just come. We're here in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord's power is here to heal. Come into his presence, and open up our hearts to God. And let God begin to show you things that lie buried inside your heart. And if God begins to show you something, What God really wants to do is to heal that thing that's buried down inside your heart. Would you stand with me?